Second Chronicles chapter 25 tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 25. While you turn there, I'm just going to mention, Jim kind of apologized that the ladies was having a Christmas party. I, I'm fine with them having a Christmas party, especially if it involves cookies, especially if my wife brings some home, amen? And so I'm not against that. I guess, you know, we, we kind of, we, we mess around, fool around and stuff, and, and we act a little goofy sometimes around here. And if you ain't used to it, you may not know how to take it. And uh, we was joking a little bit about Christmas. I'll tell you exactly how I feel about Christmas. Uh, I, I am pro-incarnation and anti-commercialization. All right? That's where I stand on it. Amen? I love to celebrate the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the greatest facts and one of the greatest miracles, one of the greatest realities in human history. But sadly, the world has taken and has uh, put a copyright and a trademark on it and uh, is now selling it at the Dollar Tree. Amen. And uh, that I do not care for. But I do enjoy getting to celebrate our Lord's birth uh, during this upcoming time of the year. But let's not forget about Thanksgiving. Amen. <laughs> I mean, why? I don't understand. Some of y'all, listen, we ought to be able to have Thanksgiving. Are you going to try to take my birthday next? It's in September. You want you want to sing Christmas music on my birthday? Amen. We ought to be able to have Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. But it's not necessarily because I'm so grateful or spiritual or anything. It's because I like the way we celebrate it. I wish we celebrated uh, Thanksgiving the same way. Uh, or Christmas the same way. That's right. You you know. You've been around me. wish we celebrated Christmas the same way. There is no Thanksgiving music. I mean, not really. We'll sing Count Your Many Blessings and pretend like that's Thanksgiving song, but it's not really. There's not, there, there's no, Mariah Carey ain't never sang a Thanksgiving song. Amen. That in and of itself gives Thanksgiving the edge. And, uh, and, and so, and, and it's just like three days, right? It's the day before, the day of, the day after. That's how Thanksgiving is. There ain't no gifts. We just all get together and eat obscene amounts of food and watch college football. Now, don't that sound better? I mean, let's just, you know, isn't that what Christmas ought to be? I believe Lord be pleased with that. Amen. And uh, so I'm not against it. I just think it'd be great if we just, you know, day before, day of, day after, no gifts, no music, no decorations, just food, food and family and college football. Amen. And I believe I'd be okay with that. But I know I'm not going to get that. Amen. And uh, so that'll be all right. I won't be a Scrooge. I'll just kind of go along and... And grit my teeth and, uh, and enjoy it anyway. Second Chronicles chapter number 25. And uh, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 14. Second Chronicles. We were in this book this morning and, uh, we'll revisit this, uh, book of the Bible tonight, but we're preaching very different time in the children of Israel's history. And, uh, we'll say a little bit here in a moment to frame the time somewhat. And we're preaching about uh, another one of these kings of Judah. Second Chronicles chapter number 25. Verse number 14, the Bible says this, Now it came to pass, after that Amaziah, now Amaziah is the king of Judah at this time, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, remember they are the descendants of Esau, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir, another name for the Edomites, he brought these people's gods, and set them up to be his gods, bowed down himself before them, and burned incense unto them. Wherefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, 
Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? And it came to pass as he talked with him that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear, why shouldest thou be smitten? Then the prophet forbear and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee because thou hast done this and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took advice. A lot of my worst moments in life happened when I took advice from the wrong people. He took advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another in the face. That was old Bible talk of bring it. That's what that means, amen? Bring it. Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon, uh, sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give thy daughter to my son to wife. And there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trod down the thistle. That's Holy Ghost language for you know where I am. Amen. And uh, verse 19, Thou sayest, Lo, thou hast smitten the Edomites, and thine heart lifteth thee up to boast. Abide now at home. Why shouldest thou meddle to thine hurt? that thou shouldest fall even now in Judah with thee. But Amaziah would not hear, for it came of God that he might deliver them into the hand of their enemies, because they sought after the gods of Edom. So Joash, the king of Israel, went up, and they saw one another in the face, both he and Amaziah, king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, which belongeth to Judah. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to his tent. We'll stop our reading there and pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege to be part of a New Testament local church. Help us not to take it for granted and help us not to take this moment and this hour for granted, but instead to have our hearts fixed upon you that you might do an eternal work in us that brings you glory. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we said this morning, when you study through the history of the kings of Judah, the southern two tribes of Israel, and Israel, the northern ten tribes, you'll find that God takes a man's life and distills it down into a simple truth. And He seeks to use these individuals to teach certain things to His people. We preached this morning about a man named Manasseh, probably the most wicked king that ever sat on the throne of Judah. I'm glad that Manasseh, even though he had been a wicked king, he found a way back. Aren't you glad this morning or this evening that, uh, that even no matter how messed up we've been, we can get right with God, we can live right, and we can be right. A few weeks ago, we preached about the father of Manasseh, a man by the name of Hezekiah. And if you're a student of the Bible, you've heard that name, no doubt, many times. We preached on how God gave Hezekiah back 15 years of his life. We preached about living on borrowed time. You know, every one of us that's born again, we're living on borrowed time. Uh, we have been afforded life and life eternal. And uh, God's given us life more abundant. And now the life that we live, we ought to live in tribute unto Him. We're all living on borrowed time. We had a death sentence on us just like Hezekiah did. God in His mercy and grace spared us and gave us new life in Jesus Christ. 
we preached uh, last Sunday about a man by the name of Jotham. And Jotham, he is the grandfather of, uh, have, of uh, Hezekiah. He is the great-grandfather of Manasseh. Jotham's life is just nine short verses uh, in the Word of God, and it details to us how that he was mighty because he had prepared his ways before the Lord. If we're going to be something for God, we're going to be it on purpose. If we're going to be what God wants us to be, we're not going to get there by accident. We're going to have to prepare our ways before the Lord. You no doubt have heard the name Uzziah. He looms large in Isaiah chapter 6 because of his death. Uzziah was a godly king, uh, but unfortunately Uzziah ended his life in disgrace because he entered into the priesthood and he trespassed upon God's boundary. Uh, but Uzziah would have been the great-great-grandfather of Manasseh. But tonight I want us to look at a man by the name of Amaziah. Amaziah is the son of Joash. But probably to frame it a little bit for you, he is the great, great, great grandfather of King Manasseh that we preached about this morning. This is many years before Manasseh would ever see the light of day. And God tells us the story of this King Amaziah. And it is really summarized or it is really uh, toned and, and, and described by this event that takes place regarding his conquering of the Edomites. Um, Amaziah does a bewildering thing. The Bible tells us in verse number 14 that it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods, bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. From this moment forward in his life, and you'll find that later on, we didn't read it in our text, but down about verse number 27, 28, God describes Amaziah's life in two portions, two sections, before he ceased to follow the Lord and after he ceased to follow the Lord. And from this moment forward in Amaziah's life, it is a decline, a downward spiral, spiritually speaking, until finally he is killed by assassins and dies in disgrace. But you know, that wasn't always the case in Amaziah's life. We didn't take the time to read it. But let's just consider for a few moments what we can learn about Amaziah when we see the early days of his life. For instance, verse number 2 begins this way. says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And it says, It came to pass when the kingdom was established to him that he slew his servants that had killed the king his father. But he slew not their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. Let me say in these verses, we see Amaziah seeking God. Now, the Bible tells us he did not do this with a perfect heart. And you know that that term perfection or perfect in the Bible, it doesn't mean perfect like this. All right? It doesn't mean perfect in the sense of stainless or spotless, but rather the term perfect means whole or mature. And here's what it means when it says he didn't follow him with a perfect heart. It means that he had a desire to serve the Lord, and he maybe didn't always do everything to perfection. He didn't always do everything to completion, but he had a sincere heart 
to seek and to serve the Lord. And even the Bible tells us about this moment where he, rather than exterminating all of those that could be a threat to his throne, he yields his actions to the authority of the Word of God and does things in accordance with Scripture. I don't know about you, man, but I want a church full of people that are seeking God at least as much as Amaziah is. I listen, I'm not saying you can't make mistakes. Amaziah made mistakes. But I like the fact that he's doing his best to serve the Lord. He probably don't always do everything just like he should. But when he's faced with the authority of Scripture, he submits to it and allows God to have the right of way in his life. We see Amaziah seeking God. Verse 5 says this, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together, made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from twenty years old and above, and found them three hundred thousand choice men, able to go forth to war that could handle spear and shield. Now, why did he do this? Well, he's getting ready to go upon a conquest and try to vanquish the enemies of God. He was doing this in service to the Lord. Let me say, not only do we see him seeking God, but we see Amos I serving God. In other words, he's doing what he can to further the kingdom of Israel. Now, you and I, we're not part of an earthly kingdom, but we're part of that heavenly kingdom. Amen? And uh, Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then would my servants fight. But make no mistake about the fact that we have a responsibility to do that which brings glory to the kingdom of Christ and that which is in service to the king of that kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's serving God, man, and, and, and we've got to commend him for it. Not only that, verse 6 begins this way. It says, He hired also an hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for an hundred talents of silver. You ever wondered what a hundred thousand soldiers, mercenaries from Israel would cost? There's your answer right there. If you've got a hundred talents of silver, you can go out and hire them. Amen. Uh, they might even take crypto. I don't know. But he hires this hundred thousand uh, mighty men of valor out of Israel for a hundred talents of silver. The Bible says, But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy. For God hath power to help and to cast down. Amos I said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. He says, Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You just go ahead and let him have it. God will restore it to you. Verse 10 says, Then Amaziah separated them to wit the army that was come to him out of Ephraim to go home again. So in other words, the man of God comes to him and says, If you go into battle with these men, God's going to slay you. He's going to cast you down because he's not going to reward the unrighteousness of how that they've been living. And so here's what you need to do. You need to tell them to turn around and march home and not worry about it. The battle has been canceled. Amaziah says, how can I do that? I mean, I've spent a, I, I, I've spent all this silver. I've spent all this money. Uh, what an embarrassment that would be. That would bankrupt us and we get nothing for it. And he says, don't you worry about it. You just trust God that God can restore that which is beyond your reach. Here's what we see. We see him seeking God and serving God, but then we see him trusting God. Trusting God when it costs him something. And let me tell you something. There's sometimes when you trust God, it's going to cost you something. We've bought into this cultural Christian lie that it's never going to cost us anything to trust God. 
Faith wouldn't be worth very much if it didn't sometime cost us to serve the Lord and to trust Him. But Amos, I, I mean, he is doing it. Yet, when we read about this man's life, despite the uh, exciting and promising future uh, that we see hinted at in these early verses, it does not pan out that way. In fact, his entire life, so brimming with opportunity, is completely derailed because of what he does in our text. He has the opportunity to go marching under the banner of the true God of Israel, vanquishing his foes and giving glory to God alone. But instead, you know what we find him doing? We find him conquering these people, taking their gods, bringing them home, abandoning the true God, and propping up broken gods in his life and in his home. There's a New Testament text verse, I think, that probably parallels this. I remember hearing a preacher say years ago, for every Old Testament story, there's a New Testament text verse. I don't know if that's true, but he said it with a lot of conviction. Amen. So... Very well may be. Uh, But I do know for that story, uh, there's one that the Holy Ghost put on my heart. And it's when Peter, writing to the strangers scattered, says in 1 Peter 4, 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, boy, look at this last one, and abominable idolatries. Peter says, don't you know that whenever you got saved, you got saved from that? I think a lot of people are confused nowadays what they got saved from. I think a lot of people think all they got saved from was hell. I'm happy to report to you tonight that if you're saved by the grace of God, you'll never feel a single moment of hell's flame. But man, God saved you from a lot more than just hell. He didn't just save you from the hell that's down there. He saved you from the hell that's right around us. And He saved us to change us and to free us from these broken gods. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians, though they would boast in the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ, they embarrass God by the broken gods that they keep daily around their home and their heart. Rather than going with God, They've gone back and picked up the rudiments of the world, the brokenness that God sought to deliver them and save them from, and have sought to from that cobble together a new sort of God made in their image in their life. And rather, they're serving the things of the world and the things of the flesh than the things of the Lord. Let's preach for just a moment about this tonight. Notice a few thoughts with me. Notice number one, Amaziah's disobedience. The Bible tells us that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods. This passage begins with Amaziah's slaughter. There was a great deliverance that had taken place. God had obviously put his imprimatur, had put his seal, had put his approval upon what Amaziah had done because he had cast down the Edomites. You know, I guess there's something Amaziah should have taken away from that. He should have understood this. God must have been displeased with the Edomites. God must have been pleased with me destroying them, else God wouldn't have had me destroy them. He could have took a hint and recognized that if God approved of the way the Edomites had been living, uh, then He wouldn't have delivered uh, Amaziah from the Edomites, but He would have given the Edomites victory rather instead. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? Let me just make a simple statement here. If the way you lived before you got saved was all right, He wouldn't have come to save you. There wouldn't have been a deliverance. 
else you needed deliverance. And you say, now preacher, I know that. I already know that. I already know that. I don't know why sometimes Baptists in my mind sound like teenagers. I don't know if you really ever say those things, but I'm sure there's people sitting there saying, well, I know that preacher. I'm aware of that already. Then why do we go back to that old broken way of thinking and living and behaving when we claim we understand how bankrupt it was from the beginning and that God saved us from it for a reason? When God saved you, He changed everything about you. He translated you from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And He would not have done that if living in the world was all right for the child of God. I see Amaziah's slaughter, but I notice Amaziah's souvenirs. The Bible says he brought the gods of the children of Seir. Now listen, I'm going to give you permission to disagree with what I'm about to say. Because if a man wants to be wrong, that's his business. You might like to believe, you might have the perspective, and it's fine if you do, that he brought these things home with the express intent and purpose of setting them up. But I don't tend to believe that. I mean, I don't know what credentials are needed to sit the throne of Judah, but being an idiot probably isn't one of them. It ain't Congress. Amen? And very likely, he did not bring these things home anticipating setting them up as false gods. Let me tell you what he did. He brought them home that he might glory in self concerning them. Undoubtedly, they marched these through the city to show people what a great conqueror that Amaziah was. And probably they had brought these broken gods and laid them in front of the palace as proof positive of what a wonderful job he had done in leading the people. And yet, through that, these false gods find an entrance into their nation. You know, part of our problem, we might have been delivered and saved out of the world. We might have been delivered from the corruption that is in the world. But we've done packed our spiritual suitcases with souvenirs. We're still hanging on to a bunch of pet interests and lusts and desires and priorities from that broken life. And we've brought them home. And we've set them up in our house. And we've claimed that this is just uh, par for the course and normal and natural for the believer to be continuously plagued by these things. Let me make two statements to you. One, I understand that there is no such thing as the eradication of the flesh this side of glory. I'm aware that, listen, this vile body is going to be a vile body until it is made like unto His glorious body. And I'm under no delusion that I can reach a place of sinless sanctification on this side of the grave. But let me say the other side of that coin is this. I should not live my life in anticipation of living in sin. I should not accept sin as a matter of course in my life. Very often as believers, we have brought, taken from the world those things that, that interest us most, that, uh, that, that, that engage our imagination most. And oftentimes we have veneered them with Christian trappings. Oftentimes we have claimed them to be culturally neutral. Oftentimes we have claimed that they're really no problem at all and that a person that's bothered by them is just being unduly scandalized. But when God saved you, He saved you to bring you out of that. He has brought you out of it, so why are you dragging it with you? Hey, listen, man. I mean, he I see his souvenirs. And what did it lead to? Well, eventually, it led to his sin. Because here's the problem. If you live with idols in your life, sooner or later, you're going to set them up and start worshiping them. You say, well, no, not me, preacher. No, I've got, I've got control. I've got mastery of it. I, I, I've got, I, I know. It ain't going to get me, right? Uh, it'll get everybody else, but it ain't going to get me. Then why are you hanging on to them? 
If you ain't never going to worship them, why are you hanging on to them? Let me just put this down real plain where everybody can understand it. If you don't plan on engaging in that sin, why do you keep leaving the door open to that sin? If you don't plan on engaging in that sin, why do you keep leaving the door open to that sin? Why do you allow the things in your home that facilitate that sin? Why do you allow the opportunities in your life that facilitate that sin? He, see, this is why Paul said we're to give none occasion to the flesh. You know why? Don't turn your back on it because it'll get you every time. And he brings these souvenirs home. He says, well, I ain't going to do anything. But sooner or later he does. Notice three things that he does. Number one, he set them up. He exalted and enshrined them. In doing so, he was suggesting that they were of, of high value and highly important to him. You know, often when sin gets its hooks in our life, one of the lies it tells us is that we can't live without it. It becomes too important to There's a lot of things too important to us. I, listen, I'm trying, I'm trying hard not get off in the ditch right now. But, but there's a lot of things we've just let become too important to us. Either, listen, there's some of y'all probably came to revival on, on Wednesday night, all nervous, all tore up because the election went the way it did. I could have told you the election was going to go the way that it did. I've been telling people the election was going to go the way that it did. And, uh, the, I, we, we ain't going to get in the weeds here, alright? I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying they ain't going to get worse at stealing elections. <laughs> people don't get worse with practice. They get better with practice. But listen, I mean, there's undoubtedly, there's, there's some folks just tore all the preacher, this is the end of our country. I hate to report it to you, our country's been in it a long time. I mean, I, I, I don't want to offend. I know we got people from all different countries, you know, like New York and Michigan and all kinds of different countries. But the Republic died in 1865. I ain't talking about Dixie when I say that. I'm talking about the right of self-determination of states to say we want to go how we want to go. You may disagree with that, and that's fine. Be on, be wrong. I don't care. But, I, but listen, you know, it's become too important to us. It's become too important to us come to important that you listen there ain't they ain't having elections for your king or my king all right uh, listen whoever god allows to sit upon the 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 tinsel and aluminum thrones of this world at the end of the day you say but preacher they'll wreck my life not if you're saved they won't your life isn't in their hands your life is in god's hands a child of god has no reason to be nervous god's just as in control today as he's ever been. And listen, they can't steal his throne. One's already tried to do it. One's already tried to do it. And son, he sent him packing. He sent him packing. So you say, preacher, what are you saying? Well, I'm saying this. All this stuff's become too important to us. Uh, listen, I understand you got to work a job. I don't want you to be lazy. If a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. Amen. I, I, I think it's important to work. But, but listen, that, that, that job should not eclipse the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. I'm not against a man having a hobby, all right? Keeps, I mean, listen, when people have hobbies, they cause me less issues, amen? I'm not, I'm not against people having hobbies, all right? But that hobby shouldn't eclipse the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. He brought these things, and though some of the things I've mentioned are not intrinsically wrong, these idols, of course, were. But here's the thing, anything in your life that becomes an idol, boy, let me say this right. You know, at the end of the day, these were nothing but chunks of stone. In of themselves, inert, insignificant, neutral. But they were made into idols and therefore became sin to the people of God. 
And very often in our life, the things that become idols are not things that are intrinsically wicked or sinful, but rather things that we set them up. We elevate them and they become too important. I see he set them up. Number two, I see he submitted to him. The Bible says this, he bowed down himself before him. I wonder why he did that. He knew, I mean, he knew that these gods were not real gods. But he understood that if he was going to carry out his plan in the kingdom, if he was going to displace the true worship of of the God of Israel, he was going to have to bow down before him. In other words, he couldn't set them up and not bow down to them. If he was going to set them up, he had to bow down to them. I'll tell you an uncomfortable truth. If you're going to set them up in your life, sooner or later, they're going to make you bow down to them. God gets blamed for all kinds of stuff. It ain't God's fault. People blame God for everything. And oftentimes people will uh, blame God on the fact that, you know, there's a dividing line in our life when it comes to consecration. Uh, there's a point where we're either going to go with God or we're going to go away from God in the way that we're living. But can I tell you something? It ain't God that's making you choose. The devil will make you choose. I, as heartbroken as God is that you serve in the devil... Don't think the devil ain't tore up about you trying to serve God. And sooner or later, the world will make you choose. You allow idolatry in your life. Sooner or later, it's going to make you bow down. It will not allow you to hold the hand of God and continue to stand in its presence. He submitted to them. And then number three, he served them. The Bible says he burned incense unto them. Well, what was he doing? He was spending his time, his energy. And you imagine how foolish a person in their right mind would have felt at this moment. Here he is, wasting the life that God has given him, burning incense to a God that can't smell it. But is it is it any less shameful than the way that we waste our life? As we're, listen, laboring for a paycheck that we're going to spend up, Laboring, laboring for, for position that don't mean anything. Laboring for popularity that doesn't carry any weight in eternal matters. I'm not asking you to throw away everything that come from the Walmart and robe yourself in brown wool and be a monk. I'm just asking us tonight to look at what is in our lives and what's worth something and invest in eternal things. Otherwise, we can spend all our days burning incense to a God that can't smell it. So I see in this passage Amaziah's disobedience. Now somebody's going to say, well, preacher, that's it. He did this. His life is done. But if I read my Bible right, that's not true. In fact, there were some things that took place in these next few verses that tell me that had Amaziah had a malleable heart to God, it did not have to end the way that it ended. Notice not only his disobedience, but the next few verses really define, the next two do, Amaziah's defiance. So a few things happen. Notice number one, the divine displeasure in verse 15. What's the first thing that happened when he, when he sinned? Wherefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah. I think to myself very often how much we'd be helped if we were mostly bothered by God's opinion on things. Part of the problem is we're not really all that bothered by what God thinks about matters. And So we will tolerate God being grieved endlessly as long as God doesn't crash into our life and disrupt our daily routine. Imagine how different it would have been for Amaziah if he was hurt that God was hurt, if he was grieved that God was grieved, 
if he was troubled that God was troubled. It could have all ended immediately the moment that Amaziah realized that he had displeased the Lord. You know, when you think about Amaziah's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, I don't know if it's that many, you can check me later, David. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Why is that, man? David was not like a choir boy, amen? He, he, he's, he's a man of war, but he's not just a man of war. He's a man of murder. He's a man of adultery. He's a man of self-reliance. And as we said this morning, talking about the legacy of a person, God doesn't whitewash over the wickedness that they do. And certainly the Bible gives us, I'm talking about a real clear picture of David's life, warts and all. But the Bible calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. Why is that? Here's why. Because David was really bothered when he realized he had hurt God. It really hurt him to know that he had grieved the Lord. It broke him to know that God was broken over his sin. Sometimes he was stubborn. Sometimes he was willful. Sometimes he was he was voluntarily blind, spiritually speaking. But once Nathan pointed his finger and said, David, thou art the man, and he realized what he had done, it broke his heart. Sure, he sinned. But he was bothered that God was bothered. Man, imagine how different Amaziah's story would have been if he had had a heart like David's and a heart after God's own heart. David had a heart after God's own heart. What does that mean? It means his heart his heart hurt when God's heart hurt. Say that five times fast. I'll buy you a crystal tonight. Not like a rock, like a little hamburger. What's... White Castle. Some of y'all, white, it doesn't matter. You ain't going to say it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But when God's heart hurt, David's did too. He, he, he was a man after God's own heart. Amaziah, how different it would have been if God being angry had broken his heart. I see the divine displeasure. But then notice the end of verse 15. The Bible says this. What did God do? Well, he sent he sent fire and brimstone from heaven and swallowed him up in the earth like Korah and then stomped on him for good measure. No. The Bible says he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why? Why, Amaziah? Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? I see the prophet's plea here. God comes to him in the person of this prophet. I'm not saying it's a theophany, but this man was carrying the message of God. And this prophet comes to Amaziah. You can almost hear the anguish in his words. Amaziah, why? Why would you do this? Why would you do something so foolish? Why would you do something so reckless? And isn't it a precious picture how God deals with the wayward believer? He don't just snuff us out. Thank God, wouldn't none of us be sitting here tonight if he did. But he sends a sweet Holy Ghost to come and just to ask us a simple question, why? You know, if Amos I had been honest enough to answer that question, he would have gotten right with God. I ask my kids all the time, why did you do this? And their answer is always the same. I don't know. Saying, I don't know, is a way of saying, it was a bad idea. And I didn't take time to think about it. What would Amos I's answer have been? Amos I, why? He'd have to say, 
I don't know. It was a foolish thing that I did. Man, if we just get honest with God, I see the prophet's plea. But notice how Amaziah responds, verse 16. says this, and it came to pass as he talked with him, that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Let's pause. Record scratch moment here. Art thou made of the king's counsel? This was a man of God. This was a prophet of God. This right here tells you how how far removed Amaziah's mind and heart are from the truth of God. He's saying, I didn't ask for your opinion. And the prophet, had he, I don't know, been a smart aleck like me, would have looked at him and said, I ain't giving you opinion. I'm giving you divine truth. He's saying to him, what right do you have? And as the prophet of God, he had every right. You know why? Because God has every right. He's forgotten who he's talking to here. Now, you say, well, preacher, who's this prophet? Well, to be honest, I don't know because I don't even know his name because that's not what matters. It's not that this man is somebody. It's that the God that he serves is somebody. But his, his, his mind is all messed up here. He says, art thou made of the king's counsel? Then he says this, forbear. Why shouldest thou be smitten? That's what's called an implicit threat, right? He's saying, boy, it'd be a shame for somebody to hit you right across the jaw, right? I mean, that's like, that's like when the IRS shows up to audit you, right? You're, you're so scared you won't even amen that. That's their way of saying that's a nice life you've got there. It'd be a shame if somebody wrecked it. <laughs> that's what it means when the ATF shows up at your door, amen? But the, well, it's a nice life you got there. It'd be a shame if somebody just came in, I don't know, threw you in, in a black site prison somewhere and wrecked your life. <laughs> He's saying, what? Y'all all right? Y'all all right? Y'all don't act all right. Are y'all right? He says, why shouldest thou be smitten? In other words, he's saying, I guess you better hush or it's going to turn out bad for you. Preacher, he's a scoundrel. Let's go find him and beat him up. Preacher, he has to be a Methodist. Wouldn't no Baptist talk like that? <laughs> Preacher, he's got to be a Florida State fan. Wouldn't, wouldn't no Vol say something like that? <laughs> but now, wait a minute. How often do we look at God when God looks at us and says, you know you're headed down a path of destruction. And we look at God and we say, God, I appreciate you being quiet about that because if you don't, I'm just going to get out of church. Lord, I'd, I'd appreciate you being quiet about that because if you don't, I'm going to stove up and I'm going to quit reading my Bible. Lord, I'd appreciate you being quiet about that because it's really not your business how I live and I'd hate to have to give up on my prayer life. I hate I'd have to give up on living for you. And we don't say it in that way. But then when the Holy Ghost presses deep on our heart, we're either going to get right or get out. And I hate to say it, but a lot of people get out. I I, I see his, his arrogant answer. And what does that lead to? Well, notice the inevitable end, not of the message. There is an inevitable end of the sermon tonight, but this isn't it. But look at verse 16. Then the prophet forbear. Now, this is interesting. Then the prophet forbear. You know what that means? It means he hushed. He said, I'll not say any, anything more. And he said this, almost as though to himself, 
I know that God hath to destroy, determined to destroy thee because thou hast done this and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. Well, let me use my sanctified imagination for just a moment here. It's almost as though they're having this conversation and the king says, I didn't ask your opinion. I don't want your opinion. I guess you better hush because I'd hate to have to kill you for being insolent towards the king. Hush and don't say anything else. And it's almost like the prophet just turns away and says, well, that's it. I know that God hath determined to destroy the Amaziah because you've rejected what I've said. Why would he say that? Well, here's why. Because the Lord's passing judgment upon the life of Amaziah. The Lord is pronouncing a sentence upon him. And here's how it goes. If he wasn't willing to hear the counsel of God, if he wasn't willing to hear the voice of God through the prophet, if he wasn't willing to listen when God dealt with him, it's not that God wouldn't have forgiven Amaziah if at any time after this moment he had repented. God's a merciful God. That's what Jeremiah says. He says, thy mercies are new every morning. You say, preacher, I done rejected God's mercy. Well, they're going to be new in the morning. God would have forgiven him. God would have pardoned him. God would have restored him. But here's the truth. If he wasn't going to listen to God, there was no pathway for restoration. Man, this is hard. I mean, I guess. I don't know. It's true. So if that's, I said back of this, there ain't no hard preaching. There's just soft living. But, but So I don't know if this is going to hit you hard or not. But this is the truth. If you won't listen to God, there is no help for you. If the Word of God has no authority in your life, there's no help for you. If if the God of glory can't tell you when you're wrong, if you're that prideful, if you're that rebellious, if you're that dug into your sin that even God Himself can't talk to you about it, then why would you expect there to be mercy? Hey, listen, I mean, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How, how shall we? This is, you are kicking the fire escape ladder off of the window. You're you're shutting the door. You are sealing off the mouth of the cave. There's no escape route afterwards. That is the mercy of God. And if you won't accept that, then there's no hope for you. Man, I see the inevitable end. So we've seen his disobedience. We've seen his defiance. But notice his destruction. What happened as a result of this? What does it look like in a man's life when he props up broken gods? When he takes the sins that God delivered him from and drags them into the life that God delivered him to? What does it look like when his life begins to deconstruct? Well, notice three things that took place. Verse 17 says this, Then Amaziah, king of Judah, he took advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another in the face. Now, it's interesting the way that, that, that the king of Israel replies back to him because it seems very prideful. I mean, he tells this parable about about this this man, uh, you know, one cedar of Lebanon sending to another cedar of Lebanon, and then this wild beast coming down and and and, and trotting out this thistle, and I, I, it just it, it drips with theater, it, it drips with with with, with uh, you know uh, imagery and 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 similitude, and and 
what he's doing is he's boasting against Amaziah. Amaziah sends message and says, hey, you think you're something, why don't you come meet me on the battlefield? And and the king of Israel's answer is, son, I believe I'd think twice about that before you get yourself hurt. Now, the reason for this is because Amaziah, despite what he thought of himself, was not a seasoned man of war, but the king of Israel was. And he understands that Amaziah has no chance of prevailing in a battle against him. So here's the question we have to ask. Why would Amaziah be so foolish as to step into that dangerous of a situation in the first place? I'll tell you why. Because God permitted foolish counsel to gather around him. And God robbed him of his discernment and his ability to know what wise decisions and what a wise course was. And you know what? You'll often see this to be the case. I'll just say it this way. He was deceived by his partners around him. And here's what happens when a person gets out of the will of God. We, we say things sometimes. We say, well, you know, God puts a hedge of protection about us. I understand that there's, there's, there's biblical precedent for that language. But really, here's what happens. When people get out of the will of God, they quit listening to God and His Word, and they make stupid decisions. And you say, well, preacher, I make stupid decisions all the time, and God spares me. Yeah, me too. I'm right there with you. But the way He does it is by dealing with me, and me repenting and getting right. If I won't repent and get right, call it a hedge of protection, call it guardian angels, but you're going to be left under your own stupid devices. Here's what happened. He wouldn't listen to God. He wouldn't listen to good sense. And it didn't take long. Man, it don't take long. I remember when when our kids were little, you'd clean a room, and then you'd turn one of them loose. And within I, I, less time than to qualify in a, in a rodeo ride, they would have the entire house, that entire room, completely, utterly destroyed once again. And it just, most of our parenting when they was little was just us sitting on them 20 hours a day till they fell asleep, trying to keep them from breaking things. And, man, it just, it was astonishing how quickly things could get out of control if you didn't have a watch on it. And let me tell you, say, preacher, you don't understand, man. I got my life. It's together. I've made smart decisions. I've got everything figured out. I mean, I've built depth in my life. Yeah, you just get out of the will of God and and see how, how much depth you've got. You think you're ready for anything that shows up. But if you start living your life on your terms, it won't be long. You'll make a mess of things. I see that he was deceived by his partners. Notice verse 20. I'll hasten. Bible says, but Amaziah would not hear. In other words, the king of Israel says, you're being foolish, boy. You're not able to do this. You're going to get yourself killed. But Amaziah, he would not hear. Why is that? For it came of God that he might deliver them into the hand of their enemies because they sought after the gods of Edom. I'm not going to dwell on it too much. We've been preaching around it. But let me say this. He was deceived by his partners. Number two, he was deafened by his pride. He couldn't listen to good sense because he was too prideful to admit that he needed counsel in the first place. Man, he was deceived by his partners. He was deafened by his pride. But then notice down, we didn't even read this, but but look down at verse 27. The Bible says this in closing statement of his life. 
Now, after the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, here's what happened. They made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. And he fled to Lachish, but they sent to Lachish after him and slew him there. That's interesting language, Brother Charlie, to use to describe. Why does the chronicler and, and of course, the Holy Ghost, but, but why is that recorded for us? Do we really need that information? I mean, wouldn't it be enough to just simply say, hey, assassins killed him, and that would be sufficient. But instead, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that from that moment, there was a conspiracy that was developed, and that that conspiracy began at that moment, and it never stopped until the day he was dead. You know why? Because just as his deafness of pride was of God, this conspiracy was of God. God sent these conspirators after Amaziah just as surely as he sent the whale after Jonah. And here's what happened. He was dogged by his pursuers. He could never find any peace. He could never find any rest. We think, well, preacher, eventually God will let it rest. No, he loves you too much to let that happen. You're going to have to get it right because if you won't, you'll never have any peace. Otherwise, he died in disgrace Uh, He died an embarrassment. He died at the hands of bloody and brutal men because he wouldn't put himself in the hands of a merciful God. I, I think I'd rather, listen, I'd rather pillow my head into eternity resting on the everlasting arms of a loving God than having a knife stuck in me by a conspirator because of the chastening of the Lord. Which master are you going to serve? Whose hands are you going to put yourself into? And please, oh please, don't drag broken gods back into your life. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. And I, I don't know what you might need to pray about. It might be something in your life that you've brought from that old way of living, that old way of thinking, that old way of behaving. And you've got that thing still present in your life. You've left room for it. You say, preacher, I'm not going to let it get out of control. I'm not going to let it get out of hand. Oh, it will. It will. Don't trust it and don't trust your flesh. Instead, come and confess it. Forsake it. Ask cleansing. Or it could just be a matter that God has been dealing with you about in your life, but you've stiffened your neck. You've made your heart as an adamant stone and you've refused to hear and to heed. Why don't you come and just let your heart be broken before Him tonight and confess that thing to God. Let Him have His will and His way. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.